I kind of almost think that Brett's TV could be like an after show thing. Like, sure. After dark. Unrated. Are you recording right now? Please tell me you recorded that. Absolutely. Yes. I didn't, I just need Brett saying after dark unrated. <laughs> also, like, why can't we get, you know, awesome new flying toasters? Uh, screensavers. Like, is nobody <laughs> building these things? I, I thought I saw a thing that, like, they are around. Yeah, so I briefly looked at it, and, like, you can find the old screensaver files, and there are, like, emulators that load that screensaver into oh, an actual screensaver. Oh, but they're screensaver. the same quality. But yeah, yeah. And they don't work, really, you know. But really, I think it's just most people don't use screensavers anymore. Most people just have their screen turn off actually the uh i think it's a catalina one um what is this thing called drift this new amoeba underwater wavy i don't know what to call it screensaver it's pretty awesome i like it a lot uh, check it out i i don't think i've set one on mac in like years yeah i don't think i have either <laughs> So, Timothy, you played Half-Life Alex. I did. It's pretty awesome. Uh, that's that's really all we need to know. We can just move on to the next topic. Okay, um, this is a lightning perfect. round episode. We're getting no, our um, runtime short again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have an Oculus Quest that I've been playing it on, um, connected to my, my uh, gaming PC, and it's really, really good. I... I got I got it a VR I think it was on sale on Black Friday, so I got it for fairly cheap and I haven't used it a lot. I've used it a little bit before Half Life Alex, but uh, I kind of got it in anticipation of Half Life Alex coming out. Um, and honestly, it was it was surprisingly, uh, what's the right word? It felt surprisingly complete. A, a lot of VR games. They're either very contained experiences, like... Uh, Maybe almost feel more like a technical demo or something. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you guys have probably had some experience with, like, Beat Saber, even if it's just seeing it. Like, it's really cool, but it's not like... It, it doesn't feel like a, fle- a full-fledged game. Like, even in, in its space, it doesn't feel like Guitar Hero, for example. Guitar Hero feels like more of a game than Beat Saber does, because there's, like, a campaign mode, stuff like that. So I think this was the first VR game I played where it felt like they'd really thought out uh, the actual game aspect of it, and it felt like a campaign. Mm. And all the me- that's cool, and the mechanics built upon themselves over time, like you'd expect. It w- it was a lot of fun. Um, if you guys played Half Life, it happened bef- in between Half Life One and Half Life Two, very long time ago. Yeah, and it. It's also one thing that was surprising about it for a VR game is it's gorgeous. It's like absolutely gorgeous. It's probably the best looking VR game I've played. Um, and I probably the the thing that probably stuck out the most for a lot of people is it's definitely like a Valve game. Valve's really good with having like these unique items that you use. So, you know, like you had the gravity gun in Half-Life 1 
or sorry, Half-Life 2, and then you have the portal gun and portal. And so in this one, the thing that kind of served as like your main item that you use throughout the game are gravity gloves, where you could basically like target an item and then you'd basically like make a grabbing motion and pull and it would fling towards you and then you had to catch it. And so it was a very like satisfying experience. So you could see ammo or grenades across the map and you could just pull them towards you. So, so talk about that grabbing thing, because I know that the, the valve um, headset comes with some, some hand controllers yeah. that let you have, is it individual finger controls? Yes. So, um, so how does that work with, with the Oculus? And then what do you have to do to, to grab an object? Well, so the, basically uh, I, I'm not actually sure how the valve indexes indexes controllers work because i've never used them i haven't really even seen a video of somebody using them but yeah they you can see videos of people using them uh like in game and they can like flip people off and stuff because it's got individual finger control oh that's how they do it okay but in uh like mine basically it's got like a sensor in the buttons on top of the controller uh, where you put your thumb and so you can rest your thumb on that and it'll actually put your thumb up and down and then it's got a trigger on the back of it where your index finger is and that controls if your index finger's up or down and then it's got a trigger around the inside of the controller where your fingers wrap around uh on the outside of it or okay. I guess on on the inside of inside. it and that will control your other three fingers so you can basically control your thumb, your index finger, and then your other three fingers together. Um, and and you can kind of use those together. So like if I grab an object, I can pull the trigger with my index finger and that'll start the thing where it flings at me. And then I don't have to let go of it and I can just use the other finger control to grab it out of there. And they're, and they're pretty much interchangeable. So they they've done something that makes it so... I think it's mostly just so it's compatible with pretty much any VR solution. They don't have any requirements on what you need. In fact, I think they even have controller support, like uh, Xbox or PlayStation controller support, but I haven't tried that. Oh, interesting. But yeah, it, it's definitely like probably one of the mo- one of the smoothest experiences I've played. And uh, the shooting felt really good, too. They had these nice sights on the guns. You, you had to hold it like close to your face to get it to work because the way the technology works so you could actually see the dot in the site. You couldn't hold it at like arm's length and see the dot really. Um, hmm. But it worked really well. It was really accurate and felt really satisfying with the pistol. You could pretty much snipe with it. Um, yeah, it was really impressive. Um, I, it, I think the only thing, the only complaint I had of any, I don't mind horror games, but they're not my favorite genre. And I think because of the VR experience, they kind of leaned heavy into the <laughs> horror aspect. So, like, you remember in Half-Life 2, there's there's a lot of horror sections in Half-Life 2 where there's head crabs and zombies. Oh, yeah, freaking head crabs, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, so I don't the, want to... No, I'm not doing this. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually not nearly as bad as I Michael's expected. That's, that's not the part I'm complaining about at all. Um like like they would they actually did pretty good with the head crabs would just kind of jump at you and then it wouldn't like engulf your head it would just kind of like sit up against you and then the screen would like turn red and you're getting damaged so it was it didn't feel like 
oh my gosh, like I have a head crab around my entire face. And I think they probably did that from testing where people freaked out when they did do it really immersively and then they probably backed it off because you could totally do it and the valve headset has like a compression thing so that it like squeezes <laughs> your head a little bit oh gosh so so <laughs> yeah that was like i was really worried about that and then it happened to me i was like oh, okay that that wasn't bad it was just the vault the volume like mm. i'd say like ha- regular half-life 2 is probably like a third at or maybe at most half is kind of like horror like levels and the rest is like you fight the combine or you're fighting ant lions or you know you're fighting more traditional enemies for for a first person shooter um and this was probably like i'd say almost two-thirds of the game you're fighting zombies or head crabs so it was it was a big percentage of it um and and i could be wrong it also kind of makes sense with the story because the combine is kind of a new thing at that point in the universe so it could have just been that they didn't think it made sense for you to fight combine the entire time but uh but yeah that was really my only complaint other than that everything felt really good if you've got a vr headset you should absolutely give it a try um literally any vr headset that can connect to a computer can play it so I'd definitely give it a try if you have one. So I kept seeing uh, screenshots and videos of the game, and it looked beautiful on on the, like, I don't know, uh, the traditionally rendered, you know, 2D yeah. representation. Yeah. Um, in the 3D environment, like, and this really, I guess, depends on the headset that you have, but for the um, Oculus Quest, how's how's the screen quality, like, is the dot pitch tight enough that that you're not like seeing everything pixelated yeah or um the i the oculus quest uh doesn't have like the best resolution but it's got but it's also above average for the resolution um i think it's i want to say yeah so i just looked it up it's 1600 per eye so so it's pretty it's pretty good like if you looked really closely at some of the environments and textures, especially when you're in a, when the game's busy, you can definitely see some pixelization, but the tech that behind the goggles are good enough that you're not going to be constantly seeing it. It's not going to be like you're looking at a, a blurry uh, image the entire time. And then, and then on top of that, it's, it is 72 Hertz, which pretty much, Everybody that's tested VR has said that if you don't have at least 60 hertz, then then it feels weird. Like, you actually can get motion sick because of it. So is that the Oculus oh, Quest that's 72 hertz? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And you were able to run the game at a solid frame rate? Oh, yeah. I mean, you get a, what? RTX 2080 Ti. <laughs> we have the Ti, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, this second most expensive card or something (laughs) yeah all right well there you go you put it to put it to good use it's really funny i think i think it was because of the headset but every time i launched the game it would tell me you have your graphic settings too high we can't like guarantee you're going to get good good quality and i'm like what what are you talking about (laughs) 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 got an rtx 28 ti so i think it was just the because it was the quest and it didn't know Hmm. it couldn't really tell what it was I think that's what it was. Did you try uh, running in detached mode with the quest at all? Oh, you can't. Oh, you, you can't. literally okay. can't. 
so the the quest is really just like i'm pretty sure it's just an android device uh built into the quest so oh it can't okay. run windows applications that makes sense yeah yeah before um before you talked about it basically all i had seen about this game was the beautiful screenshots yeah um I just have to mention the incredible juggling video that <laughs> yeah, I saw yeah. that was like, I just was, <laughs> it was kind of unreal. Well, well and, I, and I never did anything <laughs> like that because I'm just not that skilled in real life, which is the funny thing about VR is it's like you have to be skilled at it in real life to right. do it. Yeah. Um, right. It, which is extra kind of cool. Right. Yeah. But, but I did do a thing like, so you have like pockets in your wrists that you can store items. So you can store two items on you. Uh, and that's like grenades or health items. But then you've got two hands and your gun only takes one hand. So a lot of times I'd have a grenade in my left hand and I'd have my gun in my right hand. And I'd put my gun away, toss my grenade to my right hand and throw the grenade. And I'd just do it like without even thinking about it, which is the cool part oh, about cool. VR. That's very cool. And and there were even times where it's like I, I could see there was a point where I could see like a garage shutter um that had two handles on it so you had to you had to put everything away so you could open the door which i'm sure was by design and oh that's really clever but it had like a little gap underneath it so i took two grenades and didn't arm them i just rolled them underneath and then opened the door so then i had the two grenades in the next section of the level (laughs) and and that that surprised me how often stuff like that worked when it's when it's just that intuitive yeah that's when it's really cool oh and i i I guess i didn't mention i should mention it is once again a valve game so if you like the kind of puzzle thinking that valve has like portal or even parts of half-life 2 there's a lot of that so uh alex basically had like a a multi-tool which is what she calls it and she could hack different devices so you could hack doors open or the machines that you upgraded your guns with she had to hack them open and safes could be hacked open and they each had their own hacking mini game where you had to deal with objects in 3d space so it'd be like a ball that had three lines coming off of it and then there would be sensors in the environment and this is all like a holographic display and so you had to grab the balls so that the lines coming off of the balls would hit the sensors floating in space to Oh, cool. Get them all to light up. Wow. So lots of cool puzzles like that. And they were all very intuitive and they would slowly get more difficult as the game went on. Until there was just a Rubik's cube at the end. (laughs) If they'd done that, then I never would have been able to solve it. So So the real question is, what did you draw on the window with the, with the marker? Uh, I didn't really draw anything like I messed around and just kind of like colored, but I didn't draw anything specific. My first introduction to it was somebody drawing naughty things. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, look at that. But it's kind of amazing that they thought to even put that in and you can, Mm -hmm. you know, have a, an effect on the environment. Um, well, and there's a full, there's a full working piano in one level. No. Yeah. Oh, wow that's kind of amazing yeah i mean like it really was like the first time i played a vr game i was like okay now now i fully get vr as not <laughs> just a gimmick play a vr piano like would you have to <laughs> not by touch <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's 
That's crazy. That's kind of cool though. I, uh, the soundtrack I heard was pretty good. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was pretty immersive. I'd say like it was very good when I noticed it, but most of the time it just did a good job of setting the tone, mm-hmm. um, so that I wouldn't notice it, which I think is what most game soundtracks should do. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, uh, a couple of days ago, but, um, you, you got a good workout in while doing this. Uh, you were talking <laughs> about like having to squat to get behind cover yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah like are, you're are you still feeling the burn you you can only take a few hits especially when you're fighting the combine who have guns and so you had it you had to play it like a cover shooter except in real life so you're literally ducking behind a box and then we would peek out and shoot and if somebody ran up to the box then you just blind fire and i killed several people just blind firing <laughs> which is a totally different experience when you're doing it for real instead of just like pulling the right trigger and having your character aim over the box did you uh, did you ever fall over trying to lean on the box no no i never did that i definitely did that the first time i played vr (laughs) (laughs) The, the only thing close to that i got is there were times when like the wall in the game would just magically line up with where the wall in real life was Mm. and i would like i wouldn't think about it so then i'd like I'd like hit that wall and be like, oh, there's wall there. And then I'd like teleport <laughs> and then I'd try to put my hand there anyway. And I'd be like, oh, right. There's an actual wall there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I, and for the people that are Half-Life fans out there listening, I was surprised at how much this expanded the universe of Half-Life. I was kind of expecting just kind of a very safe slot in story right in the middle of the Half-Life canon. But it actually ended up being uh, a pretty big deal. Like, this is going to impact Half-Life games in the future if they come out with Half-Life games in the future. Oh, I was gonna. I was just about to <laughs> lean into that. So you're saying they've confirmed well, something, they, or they're hinted at something? So they have. They have hinted. Um, I, I'm kind of making fun of them, but they did say making this. Uh, both in the actual process of making it, they enjoyed it a lot being in the universe again. And then when they were testing it, the reason they even made it into a full game instead of a tech demo was they brought in people to test their like 10 minute demo and people were spending 45 minutes to an hour in it because, because they were like, we want to be in this universe. And so they were like, Oh, people still want this, which is hilarious to me that they like, thought that all those memes and everything about half-life 3 were jokes and not like people going we really do want <laughs> another half-life sometimes 3 valve seems so on point and other times it's just like they don't get it yeah <laughs> i don't understand well I, half-life's such a weird story though like if you go read all the all the reasons for why half-life 3 never came like the actual ones from valve employees it actually makes perfect sense it's like they basically knew they had to make something big they had to make something groundbreaking because that's what half-life one was that's what half-life two was and they just couldn't like come up with anything and so they basically just kept putting it off until they thought of something and never thought of something and they actually mentioned that with this is that they were like okay this vr that we came up with felt good enough 
that it felt like it could be a half a real half-life game where it could be a stepping stone and i'd agree with that because like i said it's the first time i played a vr game where i'm like oh my gosh it's a real game (laughs) and not just it's a vr game you know (laughs) yeah well that's really cool i'm you know i'm still not in the vr camp just because i don't have a machine that can do any of that but a future topic huh uh, maybe. maybe 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 someday we'll see maybe something we'll see we'll see where the economy's at in six months <clears throat> yeah <We're> not, honestly <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll recommend anybody the oculus quest is a great machine if if you want to put your toe in without making a big commitment it's yeah it's it's basically about the price of a console you don't have to have a computer to play the vr experiences that a lot of people are talking about like like beat saber and right. then if you like it, you can go, okay, I can figure out a gaming PC in the future when I have money, and then I just have to plug in a USB 3 cable from it to this headset, and I've got a, a full VR system. So I'd say if you want to, if you ever want to dip your toe into it, consider, the, consider getting the Quest. Probably a much more financially sound idea than jumping straight to a Valve Index right (laughs) sounds good well while we're on the topic of games michael do you want to break the bad news oh i was just gonna go sit in the corner and cry while uh (laughs) timothy broke us the bad news but i guess i'll do it so uh inexplicably or totally explicably we'll talk about it uh the last of us part two is delayed indefinitely and uh that came as kind of a big surprise and started off a whole bunch of conversations about um why yeah <laughs> yeah is the current issue with covid-19 the main cause and if so like is physical sales really that big of a an element for a you know a new game that probably most of us see as being a mostly downloaded title. Yeah. Yeah. There there was a lot of conversation about why and how long, and I'm just working my way through the stages of grieving at this moment. (laughs) So, yeah, so they've Sony and Naughty Dog have said that this, the game is basically done and that this is purely logistical um, in things like, getting the shipping, getting the discs and the, and that, that process, those materials, um, getting that thing, those things printed and put together and shipped to retailers. Sounds like that's the biggest issue. And we were talking privately, I don't know, a day or so ago, maybe a couple. And like you mentioned, like how for most of us, that's crazy. You would, why would you delay a, this game just because you're you might not get the kind of physical sales that um you would normally even with the pandemic going on uh but i think it does go to show you that there's clearly a larger market in the physical sales than we maybe still think of mm-hmm. um because money money dictates business yeah and if it wasn't gonna be that big of a hit i do think they'd probably still put it out um well and and i would i would and and thinking about i thought about it a little bit more after we talked about it earlier and 
I, I'm guessing that a lot of it has to do with the commitment they've already made to people. Like, sure. Like if they hadn't already put pre-orders available for physical copies and have a right. have a special limited edition that they were expecting to ship to people, that now they're saying they won't be able to get ready in time. Like, I think they might consider it. But yeah, the the fact that they probably I I would guess like percentage of sales i'd guess are pretty heavily digital nowadays um i even looked it up earlier in uh stat statista i never know how to say their name mm-hmm. um estimated in 2018 so you know two years ago that 83 percent of video game sales were digital so obviously it's a huge percentage that are digital but is that percentage by money or is that percentage by numbers? I'm not even sure. And, right. and when you, when you have an individual game sale, how much of your on day one, how much of your sales are from regular copies or how much of the money you're making is off of regular copies? How much of it is on limited editions? I don't, I, it's a, there's a whole lot of like variables that I have no idea how to figure out. I also sort of wonder if uh, maybe a new game about a zombie pandemic <laughs> they don't want to cause panic <laughs> it's poorly timed <laughs> it's possible yeah <laughs> i do think though you know the last what week or so all i've been hearing about is animal crossing <laughs> and yeah, what's i think this that? game has has way more hype than animal crossing granted it's not as uh, uh wide market consumer friendly but I think that you could still ride that hype wave, yeah. Even through like, oh, it's the end of the world type of game because it's a game. Um, well, I, but I will say, and and I used Final Fantasy VII remake it as an example too. They already have all their physical copies made for both of those, so right. So they're not like risking anything really. They're basically. If anything, they're going to sell more copies because people are stuck at home. Right. Yeah. 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 So we're all we're all sad by this. Yeah. <laughs> um, YouTube probably more than me, just because I don't have a system to play this game on. So it, it wasn't going to be a day one purchase for me, anyways. Yeah. But I'm curious what we think when it comes to the long term. Um, Timothy, you were you were saying how, you know based on things like pre-orders and, and wanting to fulfill those promises, it makes sense that they delay. Yeah. For studios that have games coming out in the next, I don't know, six months that maybe either haven't started pre-orders or they plan on having a physical release, but they're, you know, it, maybe they're not planning on selling as many. Do we see more studios still delaying or do we see them embracing digital only or digital first um here in 2020 i I think it's a it's a really difficult question to answer um i know from kotaku jason jason schreier i think is how you say his name was saying that this is going to happen more uh for games coming out this year but it's interesting because several studios came out in the last month to be like no this game is still coming out on time. CD Projekt Red proudly being the biggest one, saying <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077 yeah. is still on track. Um, 
and we even have stuff outside of the gaming world apple is still claiming to this day that they still are on track for their their new iphone to come out this year Mm, yeah so it's it's hard to say it's like are these companies uh hedging are they waiting for the last minute to have to make an announcement that they're delaying or or is that a, really is that confident? a business decision to try and avoid tanking your stock by saying oh this product's not actually coming out this year granted it's a whole hot mess when it comes to those kind of things already but yeah, i think you're right yeah like sometimes it's just better to wait as long as you can and see if the situation's going to get better. So I, th- I think the big thing is that a lot of these companies are probably e- either they are hedging their bets to try and protect stuff like their stock prices, or they literally don't know. Cause from the way that Sony and naughty dog kind of made the announcement, it's almost like they weren't worried about it. And then they started talking logistics with their logistics people and their logistics people were like, there's no way we're going to do this. So it's totally possible that we're going to get stuff with other companies where the studio themselves is like, yeah, we're totally on track. There's no problem. And then as soon as they Mm -hmm. go and talk to their logistics people, they're going to go, oh, you mean we can't do it? (laughs) So that's, I think, when we're going to find out is if we if we get another game company where their game goes gold and they don't make a delay before that point we're probably okay but if they if they don't if their game doesn't go gold when we'd expect it to with a release date that's when i would guess that there's going to be some kind of delay what else is on the horizon uh release wise that would be sort of the next indicator then the next one would probably be as far as something that's like a big deal like last of us because last of us i'd say is a big deal because it's it's kind of a system seller yes um, yeah. absolutely it's a trip it's a triple a game yeah. right i would guess ghost of tsushima um would probably be the next one because that's supposed to be a pretty big playstation exclusive and that one comes out i want to say in june so it's it's still in that danger zone of mm-hmm. this could still be going on in june so I can't think of anything else before Cyberpunk 2077. Can you guys think of anything else? I know I know we had some people worried about Final Fantasy 7, but they already dealt with all of that. So they even shipped their games early to places of the world they were worried wouldn't get it in time. Mm. Smart. Yeah, for day one patches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's an amazingly complicated logistics problem publishing a large title like this where you're expecting to sell what millions of copies and you have to press the discs and print all the artwork and box everything up and ship it around and like i'm kind of surprised with with this being a, a sony first party and as big of a game as it is they and the fact that it's still almost two months from the initial release date, they can't come up with a way of saying, if you ordered it physically, we're going to make sure you get a download code. To me, that would be the smart thing to do with everybody staying at home and playing games. (laughs) Uh, Even though apparently they're not going to come out for us. Uh, (laughs) One of the new technologies for, for playing games is GeForce Now, 
which is, I guess, GeForce's answer to what other services were there? Stadia, as I, I would guess. Stadia, yeah. I would Stadia. guess that's who they're answering and to X specifically. Cloud. Yeah. Um, PlayStation has a thing, right? Do yeah, but I, I think I'm guessing that NVIDIA is mainly trying to compete with Stadia, not okay. the console ones. Because the console ones kind of rely on you owning those games on a console. Got it. So GeForce yeah. Now, you own it on a PC. So I, uh, I have a friend of mine who he was playing he, he just recently picked up destiny 2 on pc i turned him on to it and he's been loving it um he had never played any of the destiny games before so he's he's got a mountain of content to run through yes he does and he's just been doing the free to play you know enjoying it and i think he just recently bought uh, one of the expansions forsaken probably and um it was melting his laptop <laughs> <laughs> it like slagged his oh, laptop's no. graphics card. He he actually started getting like some issues where like the f- screen was blanking out. <laughs> Wasn't good. Um so he thought I'm going to try this GeForce Now thing he saw it advertised somewhere. And so he loaded it up and he's been playing Destiny 2 on GeForce Now and he loves it. And I was we were playing some strikes uh, together and uh he's like this is amazing like it's not you know perfect but like it's way better graphics quality than what i had and it runs pretty yeah. smooth and he was really happy with it um and then i guess timothy you got a chance to try it out and uh, yeah I'm curious curious what your take on it was yeah so i basically my office is kind of used to be my gaming uh my pc gaming space and so now that it's kind of my office i I don't want to game in there as much. So I kind of was like, oh, I'll try out GeForce now to play some of my PC games on my couch from my couch. And so I loaded up Control on there because you basically can just log into the various stores you have on your PC. And it'll, if if you own that game that they support, you can play it. So I was playing Control's new DLC and it worked surprisingly well. Um, I didn't really notice much of a delay. The graphics quality was really good. Not as good as my PC, because I think the highest they'll go is 1080p for most games. Um, And also limit of 60 frames per second. Mm. So on there, it wasn't quite as good. But other than that, it ran fantastic. It looked good. Uh, Very little delay. And then... I started getting, because I'm playing over Wi-Fi out there, started getting some pack loss and stuff, kind of expected playing over Wi-Fi. and But I was kind of getting to a, port, a point in the DL, DLC where I didn't want to stop. So I turned it off and I was going to go play on my PC. And that's where I hit the real snag with GeForce Now, which isn't going to matter for your friend with Destiny. Uh, cloud saves are only one way. What? What? <laughs> so I could load my save... F- from control but everything that i did doesn't go back to my game on my regular pc so what happens in geforce now stays in geforce now yep that's bizarre have they said anything about switching that around and making it a two-way sync or is that just not on their radar all they've said is that there's uh it currently does not support it. That's all they'll say in their support documents. Not a bug working as intended. <laughs> Jeez. So that was fun. Um, so how much progress did you lose? Like, was, was it the whole... Two, 
two hours or so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oof. Oof. That's a little bit frustrating. Yep. I, w- I was pretty annoyed. So now you've deleted it from your... <laughs> I ha- I ba- I- so they give you like 90 days free. And I was like, oh, I'll just leave it. Like, because maybe I'll start using it. So I'll just leave the subscription there. It's only four ninety nine a month, even if I forget for a month. Big deal. And then that happened and I immediately went and canceled the renewal. So after three months, it's just going to go away. <laughs> That's crazy. That's... <sighs> That's so bizarre. It's funny, too, because we we were just talking. I was just complaining today that uh, PlayStation's cloud save implementation is awful. Mm. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. understand how Microsoft, as far as like platform developers, because obviously <laughs> game developers have figured it out. But why do so many platform developers not know how cloud save should work? It's like Xbox figured it out before i even understood what it was like they were doing it before i knew what was going on and that's how good they did it from the very beginning yeah and now you have playstation that it's like you're you're like years behind what xbox is doing with xbox 360 i don't understand it and then geforce now that's a major thing that's not a minor thing the the whole reason your ser- your service is useful is to continue to play the games that I've bought. If I'm then stuck on your platform afterwards, your service is no longer useful to me. Yeah, it's so. How does I guess I'm thinking about the the reason why this would be the case and like why it would be a one way import when you uh, how do you link your Steam account to GeForce Now? Like how do, how what's What's the mechanism for that? Control's actually Epic, um, which that's a whole controversy of, oh, right, right. in and of itself. But uh, it's just basically when you log in. So I, I was using my NVIDIA Shield on my TV, and it just has the GeForce app. You open the GeForce app, and then it has, hey, you can access these games in GeForce Now. And you click on Control, and then it's like, oh, hey, you have to own this game at Epic Games. Login prompt. You log in. It logs in, confirms you have it. They're doing some sort of behind-the-scenes license check. Yeah. Okay. And, but the thing, yeah, the thing that's, like, it must be some kind of licensing thing. That's the only thing you can figure out. Because you're, it obviously connected to the Epic Store so that it could grab my save from Epic. So it must be something with a deal with epic where they're not allowed to write to epic they're only allowed to read from epic that's the only thing i could figure out okay so that was my next question is is this like title specific or is it no it, it's not even epic specific uh, apparently wow. it's the same way on most steam games so <laughs> which is crazy because steam steam has cloud saves yeah well and, and epic does too wow that is terrible yeah it, well it, i'm it, sorry yeah, it, yeah, I just like I, I don't understand it. It's like it's a problem that was solved ten years ago. Why is it even something I have to think about anymore? <laughs> what I can't believe is that I haven't heard about that from somebody else. Does that mean nobody's using GeForce now, or well, like, I think it's or is probably it just that most games people play are like I think Destiny that's or Apex it's... or something. I think it's that most games that people play nowadays are not single player experiences they're they have their own cloud save data right wow wild hmm so other than that though 
the uh, experience is pretty yeah. smooth and I had no complaints about it. I mean, the complaints I had with it were clearly more with my Wi-Fi than they were with their service. Um, mm. That's pretty wild, know. though. Yeah. Wi-Fi is never 100% reliable, so. Brett. Michael. AirTags. Tell, tell me about AirTags. Yes. Okay. So, due to the whole uh, coronavirus situation, last month we had kind of a the little under the radar drop with the new iPad pro stuff. And so I feel like Apple hasn't really been in the news much. Um, even though we've talked about them plenty and this week we had a really interesting, uh, revelation because in one of their support videos, um, I think it was for how to like reboot your iPhone. There was some wording in the in the support video that mentioned air tags and if you're not familiar with air tags are it's essentially apple's it's going to be apple's um first party version of tile the little tracking tiles that are they nfc uh specific they're, they're, they're little radio I don't know how to describe it, like assignable tags. Uh, little, little yes. Tiles, tags, uh, squares of plastic. <laughs> little pieces of plastic to help you not lose things. And these have been rumored for a long, a little while. It's, it's uh, yeah, been yeah, a yeah. while, yeah. A, a de- it's, it's been a decent, de- well, and everything for Apple takes, you know, three times longer than what anyone else would do. Anyone else would would, you know slap it together in nine months and shove it out the door because they just want to be on the market. Whereas, you know, Apple tends to take their time. And um, I think most of the time they end up doing it right because of that. Um, Even if sometimes it may be a little lackluster in features, but yeah, no, I think, I think this is really interesting Um, as someone who uses the, the find my app, uh, not find my app, but find my blank <laughs> the, the app called find my app exactly <laughs> the app called find my uh just to help keep track of you know where things are at in 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 my life uh when it comes to like family specifically um so like tracking each other's phones just because we do a lot of a lot more travel than uh maybe most people in terms of where our where our daughter is at for um for babysitting needs and things like that child care um you know so can you these... glue uh an air tag to your child <laughs> we're just going to we're going to give her an ear i hope they just they're nice little round ones when we can just give her an ear in and uh, like, attach it there like cattle <laughs> oh no oh that's terrible <laughs> you had to you had to bring that up uh yes <clears throat> not like that. <laughs> I, I think as long as you're not like piercing them with the tile tags, we're it's not, not like cattle. It. Yeah. We're not branding a child. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> so do you use um, the the tile brand? Cause it, so that's the only brand I'm aware of of this kind of technology. I don't know if there are other players in the market. Um, I'm not aware. There, I think tile's... They kind of swept in, and they're the big ones. If there are any others, they're super small, and I don't know about them. Um, I do not use them currently. 
Uh, but I've been keeping my eye on Apple for a while just because they, and despite, despite them sometimes being a little bullish in um, the marketplace, th- they're a company I more or less trust with data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fewer number of companies that have personal data, the better. And if I can find one that I trust, I'm willing to invest in that company in terms of like using their products. Yeah. And that's Apple for me. So that's why this was, you know, something I wrote on, on my, on my little list of things that I thought was interesting this week. Um, we may see those sooner than later, especially if they're in, uh, you know, internal builds over there that they're using to create support videos. Yeah. It's not very common that Apple leaks something like this. Um, it's yeah. These kinds of slip up slip ups are pretty rare. You'll see, uh, people dig inside source code and find things. Right. Um, right. which they have for air tags like already. Public, exactly. Exactly. But these public facing, uh, PR things, uh, when it gets past them there, you know, it's, <laughs> that's very rare and and it's it's interesting though like i'm 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 the same way as you brett is i i never got tal just because i don't it's just like a no-name company to me even though Mm -hmm. they're pretty big now and i never know if can you even trust that your location's not being shared out there and right and uh apple's been really good in the last i'd say five to ten years of putting privacy first for people that i would mm-hmm. trust if they're actually going to come out with it it's going to be it's going to be secure that, in, enough that short of a warrant f- to apple directly nobody's going to be able to get my location right yep so i've heard about this technology and i kind of wonder like what the functional use case would be for me i'm i don't think i'm super into this idea of, of the air tags or the little tile tags. Um, there may be a situation that I haven't thought of that, you know, somebody says, Oh, well, what about this, this use case? And I'll go, Oh my goodness. And I get, you know, buy 50 of them. But until then, um, I don't know. I, I'm not the kind of person who generally mm, loses my keys or, right. you know, sure. I, I, <laughs> I've just always been pretty good about, paying attention to that kind of thing have i totally understand that having a kid like throws everything out of whack <laughs> and uh so it may be that i'll be begging for air tags uh you know as well, as my little one starts running around and it and it's more it it's more of like a you know this would be great to pin on the backpack their backpack right i'm not i'm not talking about tracking them 24 like that it's it's not a helicopter parent type of thing it's more of just a it's a nice little security thing that you have there if you ever need it yeah Yeah. so so is the idea behind these that um the tag floats out in the world and it it obviously doesn't have its own network uplink it can't join a wi-fi network or anything like that it's just a passive um transponder basically with a unique id and as you know, say, say I'm at the store and, uh, it's not pandemic. So I'm within six feet of somebody <laughs> and they walk by and they have a, they have an air tag on their backpack and my iPhone is kind of 
just periodically like pinging the world and it says, Oh, Hey, like, you know, it, it pings out. Are there any air tags here? And somebody's says, Oh yeah, Hey, I'm here. And then my iPhone uploads to the Apple servers and says, I saw this air tag at this time at this location is yeah. That, that's my understanding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's basically the, that's the, that's yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, but it requires a, um, it requires a network of like, you have to have a certain amount of not just market saturation, but like, um, physical world, like saturation right. of devices. You know, if you're out in rural America, it's going to work less well potentially than if you're in New York city. Right. Right. Well, and I think that's why a lot of people are interested to see how they implement it. Um, cause I mean, tile is just Bluetooth. So basically the idea is as long as you're within something that's Bluetooth range that it can communicate with, you can see it. Other than that, you know, I see it. So that's what I think 150 feet, something like that is Bluetooth four range. Yeah. Right. And it knows how close you are. So the closer you get to it, the, you know, it, it does the hot cold thing for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it'll be interesting to see if like, I don't know, is it going to have some kind of low power GPS signal? What is it? Cause I think if it's just a Bluetooth thing, I don't know how enticing it's going to be to a lot of people. Um, they mm-hmm. definitely have a lot more saturation than Tile. So it's still feasible even with just with Bluetooth that that it'll work better. But I don't know. Yeah, one of the... So I'm, I'm, I was looking at um, some of Tile's support pages here real quick. One of the cool things they have that I imagine Apple would emulate in some way is the... Um, like notify when found which means you can like actually put like an active ping out for other people to if you if you need other people to help you find something kind of what you were talking about when when other people's phones when it comes into contact with other people's phones it won't necessarily just share that data unless you it it, i think it pulls that data into a secure place and it saves it there um but if you enable it, if you say, hey, look for this device, then all of a sudden all of these other devices, all these other phones are actively looking, I mean actively, in the background. When it does get pinged, then it lets you know immediately, hey, this is right here. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what the actual technical details are. This seems like a product that is... Uh, far more it seems simple but the actual implementation of it is fantastically complicated right when you realize how big the world actually is mm-hmm. when you like stop thinking about it yeah <laughs> i'm kind of with you michael in the sense that i never really lose anything uh at the i think in my entire life i've lost my keys like for more than five minutes once and never lost a phone uh I've left like my iPad at work a few times, that kind of thing. But it's always like, I know exactly where it is. I just didn't pick it up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I kind of like it more if it worked with, with GPS with, from enough range, I like it for a security mindset. Like if I'm on a, go on a trip, having a tile in all of my bags would be nice. So if somebody steals my bag, 
there'd be a way to find it. Uh, even if it's just to give to the police and be like, hey, somebody stole my bag. I have this tracker. Here's the location <laughs> mm-hmm. data. Yeah, it'd be cool if you if yeah, like, yeah. It didn't require battery power. Right. And you could uh, like, sew it into the fabric. Well, well, the, the interesting thing with the Bluetooth 4 is you can basically run off of off of a, a like a watch battery for like two years. So if it's just Bluetooth, it'll, it'll work for basically ever uh, as far as you're going to need it functionally. But yeah, that's why it's interesting. I don't know if it's going to actually have GPS because once you get GPS involved, that's a much more. Yeah, that'll eat your battery. Yeah. So let me ask you guys a question. Uh, Timothy. No, Brett. <laughs> Who's your mobile carrier? Uh, we use Verizon. Timothy? AT&T. Okay. And I... Michael? And I'm on T-Mobile. So we got a we got oh. the spectrum here. Yeah, we do. So Brett put this in the notes. I, I'm going to let you uh, share, the, share this news bit. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So this week we had the uh, merger of Sprint and T-Mobile finally complete uh which brings us in the here in the u.s at least (laughs) from four major mobile characters down to three major mobile characters um but in the pre-show we had timothy uh talking about why that might not be a bad thing and me as a not a t-mobile or sprint customer hadn't really thought of it this way so timothy you want to run with that a little bit yeah i I think a lot of people that have at&t or verizon it's kind it's kind of similar to the comcast uh situation where they kind of know that you don't have a lot of other options so at&t and verizon are very rarely willing to help you if you're having a situation especially a common situation or a common problem Mm -hmm. and sprint and t-mobile are kind of the opposite because they're the underdogs um where they're basically doing anything they can to compete so i'm hoping that by these two pretty small carriers i i'm pretty sure even combined they have a pretty significantly smaller uh market share than at&t or verizon i'm hoping that them combined gives them a little bit more power to compete uh and some of the deals that they both offer their customers might actually push AT&T and Verizon to uh, work on making their plans more competitive instead of this whole Coca-Cola, Pepsi type uh, (laughs) relationship they have now. So yeah, so not just good for T-Mobile Sprint customers who now have much, hopefully much better coverage, but potentially better for uh, Verizon and AT&T customers who now may be may get better deals because of competition yep as a t-mobile customer um (laughs) i i've been i don't know i'm not looking forward to this merger i've I've been kind of against it um partly because where t-mobile is right now i actually like (laughs) um (laughs) right Part of one of the reasons that we switched (laughs) to t-mobile was because they were being competitive in the marketplace um when when I switched to them, they had very good uh, city coverage. Their rural coverage was okay, um, but they did cool things. Like um, I, I didn't even know this was a thing, but there are 
rural um, 3G carriers for like uh, very, I don't like, is there a word other than rural? But <laughs> there are 3G carriers who specialize in serving rural customers that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the other big carriers aren't going to touch. Um, right. And so like, um, w- when we moved to Minnesota, I-, I found out that one of the things is that <clears throat> everybody has a cabin. Uh, we sit that everyone says, well, we're going to go up North to the cabin. North doesn't actually mean You're North. All, it means any you, any direction not in the cities. You can't go. You can't go further north. <laughs> there's a little bit, and then, then there's just Canada. But um, there's Canada. Yeah. So people go out to the cabins, and this is a thing during the summer, especially. You go to the cabin, and and people have had cabins in their families for generations, mm-hmm. and uh, so this is this is a thing that people do. And so we went out to. Um, one of my wife's relatives cabins out in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. And we had been there several times um, before we switched to T-Mobile. And when you go out there, there is absolutely no coverage of any kind, no Verizon, no AT&T, nothing. Um, We switched to T-Mobile. And when we went out to the cabin, I was shocked to find out that my phone hopped on the 3G network, that there's a local, uh, like, county 3G network. And T-Mobile apparently has contracts with all of these carriers all over the country. Actually, it allowed my phone to hop on this network and use it as though it was mine. (laughs) And so I had coverage in places that nobody else did. And... uh. That was something that I didn't even know could happen, but it was one of those those things that I think, you know, T-Mobile as an underdog, they were looking for ways that they could, you know, differentiate themselves. And somehow they negotiated that they were able to use these other 3G systems. And uh, that was pretty cool because as an end user, I was able to have coverage in a lot more places than, than anybody else. Um Nowadays, I think their coverage is pretty much equal to Verizon as far as like network performance and, and, you know, network, network blanket. But even still, um, I can go international and my phone works on, um, you know, uh, went to Iceland and my phone hopped on the Iceland network. I didn't have to pay anything. Uh, I had slow speeds but it worked. I was able to use my maps and my GPS and I could check my email and send text messages without paying any extra for it. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And I, the reason I've coming back to the news story about Sprint and well, they call it a merger, but it's just T-Mobile absorbing Sprint. Like, yeah, it's like a big amoeba. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 And, And that's why I don't think you have much to worry about. Well, so yeah, so this is, I, I hope that this, the way this, this merger was structured and the way it's going to turn out is that it's just T-Mobile continues being T-Mobile and everyone who is a Sprint customer just gets all these good benefits. Like that's the ideal situation. Um, I'm a little bit concerned that if they're now big enough, then they won't continue to find ways to 
be the quote uncarrier, you know, like do right. do things differently. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they're still going to be the underdog, but maybe they're comfortable in third place, like Snapple. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Sna- Snapple's in third place. Wasn't that their ad campaign like forever ago? No, I mean they're owned by Coca Cola, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're owned by <laughs> one of those two. You're probably right, though. Probably like before, right before Coca-Cola bought them, they they were like, "We're number three. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, maybe it's totally like a non-issue for me as a T-Mobile customer. But I would do. Is I I have enjoyed what T-Mobile's been doing for their customers with their networks. They have I've had nothing but really good experience with them, and so any any kind of merger or structural change you know maybe like what happens if like this is like a boeing situation where you know the company that got bought ends up running the show and then it's all this, <laughs> the sprint <Yeah>. ceos <laughs> and the sprint executive board somehow takes over t-mobile like that would be bad <laughs> um, I, is sprint though that much worse than t-mobile i don't i don't know actually much about them because they're also kind of underdogs. Yeah, but they have, I don't think they've been innovating in this space, and they definitely don't have the network performance or or coverage blanket. Um, yeah, that, that's probably true, yeah. I was curious to see that it went through. I totally lost this on my radar, so I was glad that Brett put it in the notes because it's a, it's going to be a big deal here in the U.S., uh, bumping down to three carriers. Somebody else in this room has a new toy to talk about. Mm. Mm. So I was very jealous of y'all's LG TVs, and I got one that wasn't as good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is bigger. It's bigger. <laughs> and that's um, all that matters. Yeah, it's size is all that matters. Yeah, so I have not had a 4K TV, despite having an Xbox One X for like a year and a half now. Um, and being a pretty hardcore gamer, I've never had a 4K TV. Uh, we had a 60-inch Sony that is amazing. Um, I love it. But it just didn't ever feel like it was the right time to upgrade. And with our move to the new house, I thought, what? It, it, there's never, there's not a better time. This is, this is now is the time to upgrade. So, yeah, I got a... Uh, it's a LG 70-inch. Uh, it's a um i don't know what that means is it's their uh led lcd panel yeah it's a, it's yep yeah um yeah 
4K. I got it installed yesterday, or I installed it yesterday. Um, it barely fits on my TV stand. <laughs> uh, fun fact: definitely measure <laughs> before to you make buy. sure it fits before you buy. Did <clears throat> do you mind if I put this picture as like the chapter art? Please, please do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm put, I'm, yeah, it is. It is millimeters. It's very close. Of, yeah, be sure you look space. at your, uh, your podcast player on any on either side. Um, eventually, it's going to hang on the wall, so it won't be a big deal. But we want to paint before we get it all hung up. So, yeah, um, I'm loving it. Um, I still think I have a little bit of tinkering around to do with some of the coloring. Um, but luckily the Xbox is really smart. Um, it instantly recognized it and changed a bunch of settings. Um, and it changes automatically if you're watching a movie to go into, you know, don't, don't refresh this at 60 Hertz (laughs) mode. Yeah. The Xbox is Um, really good about that stuff. Man, I love that. And then when we we switch over to a game, it goes into gaming mode or, I don't know. Or HDR mode or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I did have to go in and manually turn on HDR for the input. HDMI deep color. Which which is just a bizarre thing that LG does. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. That that was weird. But once I did that, then the Xbox basically took care of all of the other things with... Yeah, like the low latency gaming mode and I have I have no information to support this, but I've always suspected that it's some sort of like licensing thing that if they ship it with HDR and my my set supports Dolby Atmos. I don't or uh, Dolby mm-hmm. Vision. I don't know if the LCD panel does. Probably not. Uh, but it might. But uh I've always su- suspected that they ship it with HDR basically disabled. So that, like, the number of licenses that they have to—I don't know—like, <laughs> yeah, being able to ma- you're having to manually turn it on somehow changes some well, sort of licensing agreement. It can't be—it can't be a licensing thing though, because all the apps that are built into it support HDR out of the box. Oh, that's true. All right. So, so it's it's only for the inputs. For I don't, the HDMI I don't understand inputs. It. Yeah. yeah, and at this at this point, if you're, I mean, unless it's one of those things where if the input is is on 4K and you put in a 1080P thing and it just has a problem recognizing it or outputting it, and whereas the other way it's not a problem, so they just encourage you to, you know what I'm saying? Does <laughs> yeah, that make sense except at for all? that I've, uh, I just flipped deep color on for all of my inputs and. It it, it oh. makes no difference, <laughs> and it's always yeah. worked. Okay, it makes I, it, it's completely inexplicable that you have to do this. But it's not just LG either; like, um, right, some other manufacturers do this too. So, well, I mean, all TVs are terrible about their HDR talk because they mm-hmm. all call it mm-hmm. something different, even though there are like names for all this stuff. Instead of just using the names, they come up with some stupid branding. Stupid. <laughs> It's not even branding. Like HDMI deep color isn't anywhere on the box. They just call it that in the input selection. Why are you calling it that? Just call it <laughs> HDR. <laughs> but use the words we all know. Like on top of that, then I have like my old Samsung HDR TV where 
there's two different HDR settings, and both of them just sound like they're turning HDR on. But one of them is actually turning on HDR for all stuff that's not HDR. So it's like adding HDR effects to non-HDR content, which looks terrible. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. And they don't explain that to you at all. So you're like, (laughs) which one do I turn on? And the only way you know is by going and looking online for the experts that know it and go, hey, turn this one on. Don't turn this one on. (laughs) I, I just don't understand what they're thinking. Yeah, so so Brett, I'm curious of what your out of box experience was with this because it's been a couple years, and you know, I have a couple generations older set. I don't know if they've changed mm-hmm. fundamentally how this stuff works or if it's largely the same. Um, um, but I'm curious what you've wrestled with and what you've sure been delighted by. Uh, it was relatively simple. This is my fir- first smart TV. And so it was a little bit frustrating to have to like basically sign user agreements and give them like a zip code and like I didn't have to give them my address, but like, yeah, I don't know. That just, it seems silly. It's a TV. Yep. (laughs) And I'm not going to use those smart feet. I've got like a freaking amazing game console that I doubles as a home entertainment center. That's what I'm going to use. I'm not going to use their built in apps. Um, so that that was a little frustrating, but overall it was still very simple. Uh, fortunately, um, no, I think I, I'm tech savvy enough that I knew to go ahead and you know the day before we got it, I I kind of looked over a few things. I asked you guys, you know, any advice, and you know, knowing that it wouldn't by default turn off. Uh, well, the high frame rate, yep. whatever they call it, the smoothing, motion smoothing, Whoa. motion smoothing. Like I knew to go in and do that right away. Um, but all in all, like I said, it, my Xbox recognized it right away, and it, you know, it's one click to do the things like, hey, turn when I turn my Xbox on, turn the TV on as well, and that all has worked flawlessly. Outputting uh, the audio from the, so. I have had my audio going from my Xbox straight into my sound bar system. And just because this has native apps on it, if we were ever going to move my Xbox, I wanted to be able to have the audio coming from the TV into the sound system. Uh, And the sound system only has one input, right? Right. Yes. Because that's what they do. Because that's what they do. <laughs> so luckily, this TV has a it. It's got an optical out that I just ran. Oh, down. So you're not running. Okay, so you're not doing my HDMI sound, arc, the audio no. return channel. My my uh, sound system is old enough that it does not have. I don't think it does. Maybe I ought to double check that, but I don't think it has HDMI arc. Mm. I'll double check for you after the show. If it does, I will test and compare, and on next episode, I will let you know which one is better. Spoiler, it's going to be HDMI <laughs> <laughs> If you can get it working right. It, right. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um, so I don't know if your TV has, has this, or if you've dug into the calibration stuff very much yet, but... I have a little bit. Go ahead and ask. Okay, so with my LG... And I think Timothy's is exactly the same as this. Um, Each app 
that runs. Like if you're running an app on the television, right? So it's like mm-hmm. there's a Netflix program and there's a Amazon video and, you know, I don't know, other things. So each, each right. app that runs, um, each HDMI input, they're all considered different, different inputs. But what's really crazy oh. is that each of those, when they're in SDR, so standard color, um, mm-hmm. that's considered one one input. And then when HDR gets clicked on, so if you're in an app and you enable HDR, if you're on HDMI 1 and you enable HDR, HDMI 2, you enable HDR, all of these, as soon as HDR, HDR clicks on, it's treated as a different input for the settings. And so all new settings take place for each. Ooh, so, yep. so if you have, I'll have to check that so out. For instance, I have my PlayStation is plugged into one HDMI port and my Xbox is plugged into a different HDMI port. And when I got, when mm-hmm. I calibrated the set, I had to, uh, I switched to PlayStation, put it in regular mode and got my color settings and, you know, all the motion smoothing and, and all, you know, the white point, everything, configured how I wanted it. And right. then I launched a game that had HDR. HDR clicks on, all that stuff's been changed. So then I have to go back in and I dot while this PlayStation is outputting HDR, I had to go back through all the settings, apply all of them again. Oh, no. Got them all done. Then I switched over to the Xbox SDR, dial in my settings, launched a title that has HDR, redo all the settings. <laughs> <laughs> If I launched, wow. I launched the Netflix app on the TV, same deal. Um, my NVIDIA Shield player, same thing. <laughs> they all have their own, their, their, each mode is seen as a different input. The Apple TV can do SDR, HDR10, and Dolby Vision. That's three inputs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. And there's a function that you can like, apply this setting to all inputs at least on my tv or back when i was trying to do this maybe they've fixed this um it doesn't work or kind of like some of the things came across but not all the settings mm-hmm. so yeah you might just i'll be aware just of the fact that yeah it, it, just because you set up you know the hdr on one uh input it may not necessarily work for everything else. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I definitely spent a lot of time dialing and settings because I, you know, I'd, I'd find out like, oh, I need to do this one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, <clears throat> at least with my generation of television, um, for proper HDR. So there's a, there's a thing called dynamic contrast, which when you're watching a standard dynamic range video it sort of does like a um auto brightness thing where it if a scene is dark it tries to brighten it and if a scene is really bright it kind of brings it down a little bit and and it's like kind of gives you a little bit of extra contrast and i don't know i hate it for some reason it's on by default (laughs) it's dumb yeah um so there's a thing called dynamic contrast and you can click it on click it off but when you go into HDR mode, there's still a button for the thing called dynamic contrast. And there's like low, medium, and high are the, are your, your choices like for how much adjustment you want done. 
medium and high when you're in HDR, they do the same thing that you'd expect it to. It like makes, you know, higher contrast, brighter, darker, you know, it messes with the right. image. But, yep. but if you turn it on to low, but only on an HDR input, <laughs> um, it causes the television to properly process the HDR signal. And so you actually need to have it on <laughs> for the TV to do what it's supposed to be doing with the <laughs> HDR metadata. And if you turn it off, oh you end up with scenes that are too dark and it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't process it correctly. It's the exact same label, but it does a completely different thing, but only in certain modes. And it's documented um, not in the manual, but in like a thing that LG released after the fact. It's like a flyer and you can print out. It was like a one page PDF <laughs> that you can like yeah. print out and it says, oh, by the way, make sure you do this. <laughs> this is so crazy. Oh my gosh. So anyway, play with the settings. I'm curious to see if you have uh, the same issues or if they've like figured out how to iron this all out. I also haven't touched my settings in, you know, a year and a half probably because Right. I finally got it dialed in and I don't want to mess with it. Um, so maybe even in, on my TV software, it's, you know, updated, but boy. Yeah. The, that ratings uh, page I gave you though, will cover, it'll yeah cover a lot of it. Uh, that was looking, looking pretty good. Yeah. And those are, uh, yeah, the our, our Ting's website is really good for, just finding out that kind of information because they go through all the settings and they test stuff and they kind of give you an idea about what you need to do. And that's actually how I found out about this weird dynamic contrast thing uh, was that they had updated their review of the television and said, Oh, by the way, you've got to do this thing. So well, I'll, I'll say this is a reason why I've always wanted a company that makes user friendly stuff to come out with the TV like apple it's like i i just don't want to deal with this stuff i want mm -hmm. there should be some way that all of this just works out of the box with very little knowledge from the user and and i mean it, like calibration like nobody calibrates their tv it's you know it's probably like what 0.1 percent of people that actually do calibration on their tv and then you go and look at like these rating sites and the difference between their uncalibrated model of your TV and calibrated is like huge differences in how good the image is. It's like I I just I want somebody to solve this stuff for the end consumer. This is that thing we talked about on the early episode, right? The Yeah. Yep. The film yep. Oh goodness, what was it called? Film editor mode? No. Uh Oh, I can scroll down in the document. Yes. <laughs> That's what I thought you were doing. <laughs> Filmmaker mode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah, the thing go. we talked about back in the early episode, the episode filmmaker one. mode. Yep. Exactly. Oh. They just, they just need to solve it. It's, it's a mess. I don't understand it. It's been this way for years and uh, uh, they must sell more TVs because of bad calibration. Like that's the only reason I can think that they leave it that way because the people <laughs> making this stuff sure, sure don't want their products to go out in the world with bad calibration and poor settings. Like I think you're overthinking it by one step. <laughs> I think they know that they don't sell less TVs. 
because they don't do right. this. <laughs> right. Okay, that's fair. I like that. So this will come out uh, in two weeks, right? <laughs> At least. <laughs> hey, wait, you said you wanted to play Apex after this. Didn't didn't you tell us not to let you play Apex until that's, you edit this episode? That's true, but um, <laughs> I won't have all the files by then, so it won't matter. Mm, mm, Ooh, mm. Good, ex- good, good, uh, good excuse. You got us. Oh, look, I turned the FTP server off. Oops. <laughs> <laughs>